Ah, Latin, the lingua romana, the language of the Romans. For centuries, this tongue was the lingua franca of the Roman government, from its days as a republic clear through the rise and fall of the mighty empire that followed. Yet even after Rome fell in the late 5th century, Latin survived as a court language in the various kingdoms of Western Europe, promoted by the Catholic Church and spoken largely amongst the learned and aristocracy. It was during this period, that's to say the medieval period, that Latin became a language of classification, used in science, mathematics, and history, three fields in which it's still used today. Nowadays, however, it's considered an extinct language as far as being a spoken tongue is concerned, as no nation uses it officially, though it is registered as one of the languages spoken in Vatican City, though to what level of proficiency remains uncertain. With Latin only being spoken and understood by the elite and upper classes in medieval society, what then did the common people speak at this time? Interestingly enough, the major Western European languages we know today, such as English, Spanish, French, German, Italian, and others were all considered regional dialects, quote-unquote, at the time, and wouldn't rise to the level of national or official language status until the late medieval and early Renaissance periods, when governments abandoned Latin in favor of the aforementioned tongues so that everyone could understand. But prior to this transition, everyday folk would listen to what they perceived as the highfalutin language of Latin being spoken by the aristocracy, and would poke fun at it, creating new and made-up tongues that were meant to parody it and its seemingly pompous speakers. It was in this environment that the argot, or language game, we now know as Pig Latin originated. How was this fun language invented? Who were its earliest promoters, and how did it become primarily associated with children? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and Elkham Way, welcome that is, to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Though its origins are believed to be much earlier, the first written reference to Pig Latin, whose earliest incarnation was known as Dog Latin, comes to us from none other than the bard himself, William Shakespeare. In his early comedy, Love's Labor's Lost, 1598, he makes a passing reference to it in an exchange of dialogue between two characters. Quote, Costard, go to, thou hast it at Dunghill, at the finger's ends, as they say. Holofernus, oh, I smell false Latin, Dunghill for unguem, unquote. As you can see, or rather hear, this proto-pig Latin contains words that are either taken directly from Latin or derived from Latin itself. In Shakespeare's time, it was meant as a parody of the lingua franca that had been used throughout much of Western Europe for the better part of a millennium at that point. Writers, poets, and playwrights in particular, especially those whose subjects were comedy and satire, used this made-up language to poke fun at the established order, much to the joy and amusement of the common people who read and attended such material and events respectively. But it wasn't confined solely to the Old World. Evidence of dog Latin reaching American shores has been attested to in none other than founding father Thomas Jefferson's personal effects, specifically a funny anecdote in an 1815 letter he penned to friend and former president John Adams. Quote, Fifty-two volumes in folio of the Acta Sanctorum in dog Latin would be a formidable enterprise to the most laborious German. Unquote. As Jefferson served as Minister of France prior to his own presidency, thus making frequent trips to Europe, he was proficient in several languages, including French, Greek, Italian, German, and of course Latin. This makes one wonder if he could also speak and understand the hilarious dog Latin argot, though this remains unclear. However, from his reference to it in the letter to John Adams, it's apparent that it had arrived stateside at some point during the fledgling nation's colonization and or founding, and would further develop from there. By the 19th century, dog Latin had evolved, both in name and structurally, into something we could equate to our modern pig Latin. For while dog Latin had its roots in honest-to-goodness Latin, its descendant did away with such connections almost entirely. Referred to as hog Latin in an 1866 article by American journalist George Wakeman, he describes the rules of this language game as follows. 
Quote, he adds as many new letters as the boys in their hog Latin, which is made use of to mystify eavesdroppers. A boy asking a friend to go with them says, quote, Wige, yuge, goge, wige, mege. The other replying in the negative says, noge, ige, woge, unquote. For those familiar with Pig Latin, they'll notice that this earlier incarnation of the Argot isn't quite structured the same way as the modern language. This iteration, according to that ever-faithful and accurate source Wikipedia, has more in line with the Portuguese and Brazilian lingua do pé, literally language of P, that is the letter P, in which extra syllables are added to a word in which to confuddle and confuse listeners with an earshot who are, presumably, unfamiliar with the tongue they're hearing. Countless other references to Hog Latin appear in both British and American publications throughout the 19th century, but its reputation as a language game beloved by and associated with children wouldn't appear until 1895, in an article in the January issue of the Atlantic Monthly, an American magazine still in circulation. They all spoke a queer jargon which they themselves had invented, the article begins. It was something like the well-known Pig Latin that all sorts of children like to play with. There we have it, one of the first written references to Pig Latin as we know it today. But how do we know what it sounded like? For that, we'll have to fast forward to 1919, when a recording artist named Arthur Fields made a record with Columbia Music called Pig Latin Love. In it, he croons, Aye, ovie, uye, iride. That is, I love you, dearie. At last, the made-up language we now know and love made its debut on sound recording. But if it was introduced to popular music through Arthur Fields, it was shot to international fame by none other than the likes of the Three Stooges, who used it on multiple occasions in the nearly 200 short films they made with Columbia Pictures throughout the 1930s and 40s. The trio even taught audiences how to speak it in the 1938 short Tassels in the Air, when Mo Howard teaches Curly Howard the rules of the game. By now, the uninitiated amongst my listeners are probably asking, but what exactly are the rules? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's all quite simple. With words that begin with a consonant, one simply places the letter prior to the initial vowel at the end of the word and adds the suffix a. For example, pig becomes igpe, and Latin becomes atenle. Therefore, pig Latin, in its native tongue, if you will, is igpe atenle. For consonant clusters, such as friends or grapes, the same principle applies, albeit that the first two letters before the initial vowel are added to the end, becoming ens fray and apes gray, respectively. And what of the words that begin with a vowel? I can hear you ask. Take, for instance, the words eat and apple. All one has to do is simply add a suffix, hey, way, or ye, to the end. Therefore, eat will become eatway or etye, and apple turns into apple hay. Since Shakespeare's time, Pig Latin has certainly come a long way, and has even entered the public consciousness in the form of loanwords, particularly on the American side of the proverbial pond. For instance, Amscray comes to us directly from the Argot itself, and simply means scram, as in go away, leave, or get out of here. Ixnay is another, a take on the word nix, which itself has entered our language from the German nichts, which is commonly used as a negative. In conjunction with these, this argot continues to enjoy enduring popularity, especially among children, who often use it in the classroom or on the playground when they don't want the teacher or others outside their circle of friends to understand what's being said. From the legitimate stage to popular music to the cinema, it goes without saying that Pig Latin has seen and witnessed vastly different time periods, all the while enjoying an enduring legacy that has led right up to the present. There's just something so silly and fun about this particular argot, and its status as a beloved language game doesn't show any signs of waning anytime soon. While its specific origins may be shrouded in mystery, its future would seem to be assured, for as long as humans continue to communicate through speech, it will undoubtedly continue to find new fans and successive generations of children and adults alike.
Angthe Uye for listening this week. I hope you had as much fun listening to this silly episode as I did in making it. Are you fluent in Pig Latin? Did you use it in school with your friends? I'd love to know. Let me know in the comments section of the accompanying post on Instagram. Just give me a follow at History Loves Company. That's history underscore loves underscore company. And drop me a comment. Sharing as well as listening also helps me out immensely, so please do so on all podcast streaming platforms. Join me again next week for a look at a magnificent city in the seemingly least likely of places, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time.